Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Podcast. My name is Nick LaPena, and today we have Blake Fraser from Fraser Lawyers. He's coming on board to give us the ins and outs of going to contract, um, some conditions involved in the contract and what they mean, and basically the process in settling your property, as well as finding a good solicitor and uh, what it's like running a law firm here on the Gold Coast. So before we get started, our mission is to provide up-to-date real estate information for buyers and sellers um, to basically come on board to the podcast and get anything that they would like to know about the real estate industry when making a transaction. And if you do find this podcast um, valuable, uh, please let someone know that owns a home or would like to own a home uh, so they can also come on board and get the information as well. So let's uh, give a warm welcome to Blake Fraser. Thank you for coming. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Nick. You're very welcome. Um, so tell us, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, how you got started, yeah. Okay, so I, after finishing school, I originally studied real estate and property development. Yeah. Um, and then I completed a degree in law at Bond Uni. Uh, after finishing law, I went straight into work and worked in the industry for a short period of time um, and then I started Fraser Lawyers um, and I've basically done that ever since. Six and a half years in business now. Beautiful. Um, and yeah. Good stuff and um, and how you find running Fraser Lawyers and, and the staff there? Yeah, it's definitely challenging. Um, I think, you know, running a, a small business on the Gold Coast is um, always going to have its challenges. Um, but, you know, we're a, a boutique law firm um, providing legal services all over Australia, uh, which is, I think, you know, beneficial to a number of people that are buying or selling on the Gold Coast uh, because ultimately we've got interstate buyers. It's, a, you know, a, a big place in Australia where there's lots of interstate buyers. Um, so that, that obviously has its benefits. Um, and, you know, we've got centrally located offices, which is, is beneficial for most people. Yeah, great. And what what should clients look out for when when picking a solicitor? I guess what makes what makes a good one, you know, and what sort of makes an average one. I think definitely you want someone with a good reputation, mm-hmm. um, someone who's going to be reliable. Uh, I think one of the big um, big problems in the in the legal industry or big complaints is that you know lawyers are often not uncontactable. Uh, or they're you know just not reliable, not getting things done when they say that they're going to and what have you. So definitely looking out for someone with a good reputation, someone who's contactable, someone who's reliable, and uh, ultimately someone with experience as well. Uh, because I mean, ultimately, if we're referring to you know the property side of things, um, people often forget that the transaction relates to one of the biggest purchases that they'll probably make in their lifetime. Mm, definitely, uh, that's you know going to be. A big expense for them, um, so you obviously want to have someone in your corner that's going to be putting their, their knowledge and experience into it and ensuring that there's no issues for you, uh, whether it be through the conveyancing process or later on down the track after you've taken possession and, and settled on the property. Yeah, awesome. And tell us a little bit about that process, I guess, you know, for people that might uh, be first homeowners or maybe fairly new to buying and selling. What's it like after they've gone to contract? What are they... What's the process after that for them to settle? So effectively, once they've engaged a solicitor, um, the solicitor will be ultimately diarising key dates and monitoring key dates, things like payment of deposit, when certain conditions fall due, for example, building and pest or finance conditions. 
um, advising the the buyer or the seller on contract conditions. Um, in other words, you know what what their role is in in terms of those conditions, what they might need to be doing. An example with a finance condition, for example, you need to be applying for finance. You know, you need to be advising us by a certain date what the outcome of those um, finance applications are, etc. So obviously, monitoring. Um, those conditions of the contract advising both the buyer or the seller, depending on who you're acting for, mm-hmm. of uh, their obligations. Um, the, the solicitors will all be also be con- uh, conducting searches over the property um, to ensure that there are no outstanding monies, and if there are, those obviously need to be adjusted at settlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also making sure that there's no adverse order. For example, one from the local council over the property requiring... requiring uh, works to be rectified, unauthorised works to be rectified. So all those things we fleshed out during the process. Um, and then towards the uh, the settlement end of things, once, you know, finance has been approved, building and pest conditions have been satisfied, etc. Um, basically liaising with financiers in most cases mm-hmm. um, to ensure that the funds are available for settlement, uh, advising the buyer or the seller on how much money they will be contributing at settlement or how much they'll be receiving at settlement. And then obviously facilitating right through to the the exchange of relevant settlement documents to ensure that the actual change of name and mortgages and all those sorts of things all get registered correctly. Yeah, awesome. And you mentioned um, a few conditions. Uh, You know, what what are sort of maybe uh, rule of thumb conditions uh, as well as maybe some, some... ones that might benefit a buyer or a seller that sure well the contract provides as a standard for um a finance condition mm-hmm. and a building and pest condition so essentially what those mean is that the if if the if the buyer elects to make the contract conditional upon those two things uh starting with finance it would mean that they can over a certain period of time stock standard would usually be about 14 days they can make an application for finance and um, then go unconditional on the contract if their finance is approved. If their finance is not approved and the contract is subject, subject to finance, they can withdraw from the contract and the deposit will be refunded to them. Similarly, with uh, building and pest, they can obtain a building and pest report, uh, analyse that report, see if there are any uh, issues with the property or major works that need to be completed, major defects, termites, things like that. And if there are major defects or termites, then they can ultimately withdraw from the contract, uh, again, receive their deposit back and, and not be bound to it. Yeah. Um, so there, there is a stock standard. Um, the, the contract of sale, the standard REIQ contract of sale actually provides for those two things. Um, but, you know, it's, it's always going to be person to person whether or not those, those clauses are required. Mm-hmm. Some other things that might be normal would be, for example, a subject to sale clause. So mm-hmm. you might have a buyer who's got an existing property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they require the funds ultimately from the sale of that property for their purchase. So, you know, they, they might be seeking a condition be added to the contract that the purchase contract is subject to their sale contract mm-hmm. to allow the funds to follow through from the sale. Yep. Yeah, beautiful. And um, is there any particular clauses, um, I guess, that would benefit a, a buyer, maybe one side of things, and then maybe a particular clause that would benefit a seller, one side of things that maybe people wouldn't know about that you can think of? Um... Well, ultimately, in terms of benefiting the buyer, obviously, the, the building and pest, the, the finance clauses, they will benefit the buyer, mm, mm. not the seller in any way. Um, in terms of 
um, uh, other clauses that would benefit, say, the seller, for example. Um, there's a there's a default clause in the contract um, for what's called default interest, which kicks in in the event that um, settlement doesn't happen on the day it's due to settle. So there are provisions for what happens if um, settlement doesn't happen on the date that it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Time is of the essence with the contracts, and ultimately, if either party is not in a position to settle on the day of settlement, then the other party that is able to settle could have rights to terminate. But in the seller's case, they can actually um, uh, invoke what's called a, a default penalty rate. Yep. Um, so they could ultimately say, look, we will extend settlement for a period, whatever's requested, and the contract provides that they would get a default rate, um, which is set by the Queensland Law Society. Uh, so that that's one that's exclusive to the seller as well. Great. And when settlement takes place, uh, what should both parties be receiving after settlement? Is it, Obviously, you mentioned um, you know, the money being available and things like that, but what's actually... Did, given to both parties yeah so ultimately um if if acting for a seller obviously that the most important thing they should be receiving is any surplus funds if they've got a a mortgage um obviously that the mortgagee will take the funds that they require to discharge their mortgage at settlement but the the surplus funds is would be the the key thing that the seller's looking out for as far as a buyer's concerns um we provide our, our clients with a, a post-settlement letter which provides them with details on um, council rates, water, et cetera, et cetera. So with some of those things are often paid in advance and uh, just basically giving the buyer an understanding of where their rates are paid up to, um, how, how much has been paid for rates, mm-hmm. any outstanding amounts that have been paid, et cetera. So they've got the peace of mind that they're taking the property without someone else's debt uh, and um, knowing that moving forward that, you know, where the rates are paid up to and things like that. Awesome. Awesome, Blake. And any last take-homes sort of uh, to, the, to the clients? Yeah, any last take-homes? Yeah, well, the biggest, biggest tip that I'd uh, have for anyone looking at embarking on the conveyancing process would be to do a little bit of research, ask around for someone who's reliable. Um, you know, there's, there's firms out there that are offering um, fixed-fee services that aren't true fixed-fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do offer a fixed-fee service. Uh, which is all inclusive um, from start to finish for your normal conveyance. Mm-hmm. Um, there are firms out there that which can quote quite cheap. Um, however, they will ultimately charge plus, 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 plus mm. along the way. And then lack in service as well with some firms as well. Ultimately, that is a mm. big complaint that we've heard through the years is that, um, and, and we see it as well mm. when we're trying to facilitate the process, try and get in contact with some other firms, not able to speak to a, a real person or... Mm you know, just sort of getting pushed through the through the food chain and not being able to get the answers that you need. You really need someone that you can pick up the phone uh, really at any time and get an answer to any questions that you've got because it can be quite a daunting and, and stressful process for a lot of people, um, particularly first home buyers or interstate buyers who aren't familiar with the process. Mm-hmm. You want someone that's going to be able to take the time to explain to you what the different aspects of the, the process are um, and ultimately hold your hand through you know, making sure that you, you, you comply with all your obligations so that there aren't any stressful headaches at settlement or anything like that. Thank you, Blake, for coming and providing that information to us. And uh, thank you all for listening. I will see you all at the next podcast.